Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little Left Jab Productions present Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarin. The Schmada Kid. Oh! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zarin. Joined as always. By a producer who thinks we should be talking Mayweather, thinks we should be talking Pacquiao, thinks we should be talking NFL Draft, thinks we should be talking about Baltimore, and guess what? Yeah, he'll be right two out of three <laughs> times, two out of three of those. Well, I'll explain in a second. And joined as always by the coach, Kevin Nutt. How you doing, coach? Dave, are we going to do two, today's shows without any listeners? Uh, I don't, I don't know. What you, oh, are we going to copy you. Baltimore? Is, oh, you missed that is. one, huh? Well, well we are going to talk about it. That's for darn sure. <laughs> Good, I'm because I'm against it all the way. It was a right, bad move. Well, well, let's talk yeah. about it top to bottom because I think it was interestingly a bad, brilliant move. Or a brilliantly bad move. Yeah, I Crazy get you. to watch. So I got you. I think we'll we're on the same plane there. We'll talk yeah. about it. Yeah. And me, Mark Barry. Mean Mark, it's your day of days. It's, it's your nerd prom. It's the NFL draft, and and just to me, the Avengers comes out today. It's a very good day. Oh, my oh, God. God. It's yeah, a great day. You spoiled it right there. I was, I was giving you credit because this day is to, say, is to you what the NCAA is to me. Yeah, man, day, this day, is my you time. lost us with that Avengers. If we wanted to. Whoa. If we wanted to, we could just call this show this week. We could do like Mark Barry's Bread and Circuses. Yeah. And talk about the NFL. NFL draft. I'm good and to talk go. Talk about the Avengers. I'm good to go. Get the Avengers, Age of Ultron. No, yeah. I, I could care less. Get the Avengers. Um, <laughs> I could absolutely care less the about the Avengers. It's not movie critics. Let's move. Let's yeah. Let's I mean, what we are going to talk sports, about today. Baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what we are going to talk about today is we're going to talk about Baltimore, Baltimore, Baltimore. We're going to talk about the Orioles playing in front of the empty stadium. We're going to talk about what I've seen in the streets of Baltimore. I've been out there a great deal in the last week. We're going to talk about um, just the role of sports in what is what I would call a Baltimore uprising against police violence and against poverty. And that's the show. So if you want to hear about NFL draft talk, you got options. But I will say, if you want to hear about Mayweather Pacquiao, our one guest today is Daniel Roberts, a.k.a. Iron Mike Gallego. And I did want to talk to him no matter what about Mayweather Pacquiao, even with everything happening in Baltimore, not because I care a great deal about the fight, 
but because I do think that the ethical question around the fight is very profound, namely Floyd Mayweather, namely his documented history of violence against women. I mean, I read the police report that his 10-year-old son wrote out about his dad, Mm -hmm. and it sent a chill in my spine, and it really raises this question about, as sports fans, what do you say when you have a Floyd Mayweather? And I want to talk about that. We'll go to break. We'll be back after this. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin will return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Join me the coach coming out. How you doing, coach? Mommy. Me, Mark Barry. How you doing, me, Mark? I'm doing well. Okay, so first and foremost, we are talking about Baltimore. We are talking about the uprising that's taken place. And yes, I'm calling it an uprising. I'm not calling it the Baltimore riots because they're not happening because people had a desire to get the goods that CVS had and wanted what was inside. I mean, they it's, we're talking decades of accumulated grievances. We're talking, it's not just about Freddie Gray, but when the police come out and say and call protesters a lynch mob, when police come out and say that Freddie Gray injured himself, I don't oh. know if people saw that latest news, yeah. that he somehow yeah. severed his own spine. I mean, that's why people are in the streets. That's why people are fed up. I mean, people are fighting for their own visibility right now because make no mistake about it, people have been organizing in Baltimore for years and they have been unseen. And I'm sorry. And yes, this is a direct shot I'm about to make at Jason Whitlock. But, you know, watching The Wire, getting all hot and bothered and quoting Stringer Bell in your corporate mission statements is not the same thing as seeing West Baltimore. It's not. And people are trying to be seen, and they wouldn't be trying to be seen if it wasn't for the fact that there have been such a state of being unseen. And I can tell you, I was there last Saturday, and that moment when people marched from West Baltimore towards Camden Yards, and there was that moment when the police went from really being largely non-existent to just almost like appearing out of thin air to protect Camden Yards— And that moment where people yelled, oh, they care about the Orioles. And that moment Mm. where people saw what people had certainly, I've heard people say for years, but when they saw the fact that the Orioles, the property was to be protected, yet the people are in a state of fear, not protected, but actually in danger. That was a very powerful moment, and obviously, you know, it it relates to stuff that we've been talking about on this show for years, about how, you know, building these publicly funded stadiums has become a substitute for anything resembling an urban policy in this country, and about how going to the stadium, which used to be a community activity, has now become something that's really become a suburban, white, middle-class activity. And for black Baltimore, going to the stadium is where you go to look for work. And it's not well-paying work. And it's so interesting to me, and I didn't think about this until Chris, Chris Rock's recent statements on HBO Real Sports, but about how the growth of ballparks like Camden Yards, you know, these kind of good old days ballparks, that you've seen sprout with public money in cities that used to be industrial hubs like Detroit, like Cleveland, like Milwaukee, like Pittsburgh, like the south side of Chicago, that you've seen that side by side with a decline of interest in baseball in the black community. And Chris Rock, I mean, maybe it's because we're both from New York and have the same sort of time of reference. He hit it so on the head to me where he was talking about the 86 Mets 
And he said, we had Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, Mookie. He said, my man, Mookie Wilson, and how you could talk about that with people. And now if you said, let's talk about the Mets, people might say in the black community, well, what's a Met? And that disconnect with the growth of these nostalgia publicly funded parks that cater to a very specific audience, I mean, to me, that was very much on display in Baltimore. And it shows the way, to me, it exposes the ways in which the idea of presenting sports as a solution to the economic ills in a city is a false promise. It is a false promise, and it should be discussed as a false promise. And it's so interesting to me that the person who seems to get that fact is John Angelos, the COO of the Orioles. Like, I Coach, did you see his comments? Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that he said that his, quote, greater cons- – I want to read this. He said, my greater source of personal concern, outrage, and sympathy beyond this particular case is focused neither upon one night's property damage – nor upon the acts, but is focused rather upon the past four-decade period during which an American political elite have shipped middle-class and working-class jobs away from Baltimore and cities and towns around the U.S. We need to keep in mind that people are suffering and dying around the U.S., and while we are thankful no one was injured at Camden Yards, there is a far bigger picture for poor Americans in Baltimore and everywhere who don't have jobs and are losing economic, civil, and legal rights. And this makes inconvenience at a ballgame irrelevant in light of the needless suffering government is inflicting upon ordinary Americans. Mm-hmm. And coach, one more thing, and I want to read this and then get your, your guys' thoughts on this, is for the last couple of days, I've been like sad that the best comment coming out of the Orioles has come from the owner. So I'm like, where are the players? Will, the play, will some players step up and say something? I get that it's not like the old days where if you played for the Orioles, you probably moved your family to Baltimore and you were going to be there and all that, mm-hmm. you know, good old, you know, Johnny Unitas living there stuff. I know those days are dead as dead, but that doesn't change the fact that you're living in this city, you know, at least during the season. You're benefiting from the city. That's where usually most players do their community work. Will any players speak out? And Adam Jones did a press conference yesterday, um, one of two African-American starters on the Orioles. That's two more than a lot of teams have. And I actually did a transcript of what he said. And the best part, I'm just going to, it's what Adam Jones said. He said, there's been a lot of good protesting. There have been a lot of people standing up for the rights that they have. The youth are hurting. It can look like no one's fighting for you, but there are people like myself. I say to the youth, your frustration is warranted. It's understandable. It's understood. Their actions aren't acceptable, but if you come from where they come from, you understand. This is their cry. They need hugs. They need love. They need support. I feel the pain of these kids. I grew up on similar tracks as them. It's not easy seeing a community where you are trying to affect change go through this, but it's understandable because these kids are hurting. They've seen the pain in their parents' eyes. They have seen the pain in their grandparents' eyes over the course of decades, and this is their way of speaking on behalf of their parents and grandparents and people who've been hurting. That's powerful because he's grant, he's doing, frankly, what President Obama didn't do and what Attorney General Loretta Litch didn't do, and what Mayor Stephanie Blake Rawlings isn't doing, and that he's not calling them thugs. He's granting them their humanity, which tragically in this climate seems to be an, a radical act, just to acknowledge that people are human who are in the streets, that they're not the black gorilla family, the Bloods and the Crips. You know, coming together to attack police and shoot police, which has proven to be an utter lie. 
and which scared the holy hell out of thousands of people when the police were saying that. I mean, literally scared yep. thousands of people. Turned out to be a lie. By the way, there's been no apology. Shot fired either. Not one shot. Yep. By the way, no apologies from Baltimore PD or the mayor's office for what? putting that out. What? So, it, so I mean, I wish. Adam Jones just being like, these are human beings and they're hurting wasn't a radical act, but it's more than David Simon, the creator of The Wire, could say. It's more than Ray Lewis could say. It's more than a lot of people have been able to say. So we tip our hat to him on Edge of Sports. Coach, your thoughts? I know it's a lot. Or Mark. No, no, no. But, I mean, we're going to – I'll tell you this. Next segment, I'm going to throw it right to you guys to talk about the game itself. Uh, the, the now infamous game of the Baltimore Orioles and the Chicago White Sox playing in front of an empty stadium in a game, ironically, that was blacked out, not because of low attendance, but apparently because that's just what MLB does. It was apparently a random blackout from what yeah, I was understanding. I, 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 I caught it on in D.C. It was on. Yeah. It was on in my home. I mean, yeah. You know, I flicked to it because I wanted to just, just see the atmosphere. But. They, I, I, I know we're up against a break, and that's why I was kind of holding back to the next segment because no, we I, can. I can go on, and I'm, I'm full of emotion because I have watched uh, coverage since the riot started at 3 o'clock, mm-hmm. nonstop, well, I'm sorry, work and things, but when I could, I'm in all over the dial, uh, mainstream uh, media, off-stream media, WPFW here in, in, in D.C., um, so I'm, I'm full, but <laughs> we've got a lot of people in a, lot of, in a, in a heavy-packed show. Yeah, and we're recording this on a Thursday, April 30th, and tonight at uh, All Souls Church in D.C., uh, we're uh, going to bring people from Baltimore to D.C. to speak about their experiences and try to organize folks to go uh, to Baltimore on yes. Saturday. Yes. And that's what you have to do. I mean, it's so interesting because it's like I see Ray Lewis and I see someone lecturing the people of Baltimore. And I see Barack Obama and I see somebody lecturing. I see Governor Larry Hogan and I see someone lecturing – I feel like if there was ever a time to not lecture but to listen, mm, it's mm, now. Mm, mm. I mean, just stop mm. talking for one second. The old journalistic slogan that, you know, the good Lord gave us two ears and one mouth, do the math. If there ever was a time for that, I mean, it's right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there you go. This is Edge of Sports Radio. You can follow us at Edge of Sports. Get the latest on the intersection of sports and politics. We'll be back with more after this. One, one, two. Don't move. Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin Dunn. How you doing, coach? Oh, man. Me, Mark Barry. How you doing, me, Mark? All right. Heavy show. Heavy show. <laughs> heavy show indeed. Later on, we are going to talk to Daniel Roberts, a.k.a. Iron Mike Gallego, about violence against women, Mayweather, Pacquiao, the ethics of watching or not watching this fight. But as promised in the last segment, we now want to talk about the, the game in front of no one, the Orioles, White Sox, and coach. Mm-hmm. I know you've got a lot to say. I want to give you the chance to say it. I've got my own thoughts about it. Was it a good idea? Was it a bad idea? Mm-hmm. Everything with mm-hmm. a bag of chips. Mark, we're going to ask you too, but coach, mm-hmm. your thoughts on the game in yep. front of no one. It First time sh- in Major League history, by yes. the way. It was a shameful grandstand ploy of self-promotion by a new commissioner, Rob Manfred, wanting to make his first big statement. I think he should have used his power to easily move that game to D.C., uh, the Orioles, the Orioles are going to play the next three in Tampa Bay anyway. So why can you make that move? 
football has done it when they moved the Buffalo um, uh, Jets game to Detroit because of the snow. And understand this. I think the uh, symbolically, you know, uh, I think it embarrassed the city more. Uh, it applied to the nation that the city is totally unsafe and anarchy is the order of the day. And so I think, you know, it, it, it was self-serving and it was a win-win, easy sell situation. And I just thought it, I thought it was I thought it was wrong. Move the game. It would have been a quiet spotlight. Fans could have went. It was 45 minutes down, uh, 45 minutes down the road. If you could flex your power and get the game switched back to Tampa, you could easily got it done to move the game to D.C., sitting there, idle stadium already, everything ready to go. I, I don't see it. And look at it. But by the way, this is the same cat that is getting lauded for canceling the game Monday. But guess what? He didn't do it to 630 and the game started at 715. Mm. And the ride was starting at three o'clock. And it's five. And the people park in the in the neighborhood. I've done it. The people uh, park in the neighborhoods that were less than five blocks away of trouble. So I, I'm, I, I'm not trying to be the word police, but, you know, I'm not calling it a riot. I'm calling it uprising. I got you. I got you. I'm I ain't getting semantics. I, no, no, you know, I know. But I've I been hear in Baltimore you. for a lot of games. I, I know the city no, well. I know you I, do. I referee ball games there. Yeah. I worked in Baltimore, so. Oh no, no, no! I yeah. know that. I just—it's so interesting though because one of the things that people were in the streets against is just the complete absence of infrastructure. And riot to me always implies, first of all, something without any sort of political focus, an organization, and second of all. A place where, you know, you get that word, looters, looting, what have you. And it's like, people, like I think Fox News was like, how can they burn down the CVS if that's the only place that was serving food in this area? <sighs> it's like, why was the CVS the only place? Oh, my God. <laughs> Watch out, Dave. Food? Watch out, brother. I'm telling Watch you. Out, I brother. mean, you're trying to, I mean, yeah. this is what people call a food desert. Yeah. Absence yeah. of nutrition. Yeah. People are learning yeah. phrases this week, yeah. like food desert, uh, rough ride. And things yes. that in the yes. black community and in poor communities are what you call daily life. Mm -hmm. But, Mark, did you want to weigh in on the empty stadium uh, yeah. thoughts before I do my you, thing? You do your thing? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll, I'll pause before you do your thing. No, but thank you. I think, I think the, the game itself, it was, it was just so weird to watch. To watch a game with absolutely no one around there in this kind of vacuum and to have the vacuum and the relative silence inside the stadium in conscious of what, about what was going on outside the stadium in the city. And I agree with you, Coach, that it, it did give this impression that the, the city of Baltimore was somehow just supremely unsafe and un, un, not a place where people wanted to go at all. I mean, you could... <laughs> So quiet, you could hear Jeff Samarja spit on the mound. <laughs> it was so gross and so weird. Gross. I mean, it was interesting as a thing to see, just like in in a vacuum without all the other things. It was interesting. To, I mean, the game went two hours and five minutes. It was a short, really short game. Mm -hmm. But really? yeah, I I don't know, man. It was yeah, it that's was, like 1960 speed. Yeah, exactly. People, so it was they cool wanted to, to go hear too. Gary Thorne's master calls. Yeah, why, why was it so short? Was there any analysis yeah, of that? Because it's not like they made the commercial shorter. No, I, I don't think that there was anything. You just think about the players just wanted to be done with it, so maybe so. like I, I mean, mean people the operate just an inch faster. Chicago was out of the game early too. Yeah, yeah. that's right, and people just op people. I think the players probably wanted to go home. Probably I mean, so. so here's the thing, coach. First and mm -hmm. foremost, um, I can't believe I'm going to ever defend Rob Manfred, but a mild defense of mm -hmm. him is that the idea that the Lerner family would do a favor for the Angeloses and host the Orioles. I mean, you're, I think you're granting the commissioner, first of all, too much power. The I mean, if there's anything we've learned over the last 20 years is that the era, and I do think this era did used to exist, 
where the commissioner stood above the game yes. and operated in the best interest of the game. That's Shoot, not the case. man, you might as well be asking for a cobbler to fix your shoes at the corner. I mean, <laughs> it's just it doesn't exist anymore. It just doesn't exist. And so, yeah, you know, he's knowing baseball commissioner, get it doesn't this done. matter. Well, this, Dave, it what, doesn't what, what, matter. Dave, Dave, what, I had a better chance of making it okay, happen what, okay, than Rob Manfred. Well, let me ask you this: Was Philly available? I don't, that's a good question. I okay. mean, Manfred it, could have it, seen it, if it, the it, people in Philly were more friendly with the Angeloses. I mean, that's that's a good question. I mean, that's part of the problem. Is that? Um, I mean, first of all, I read the quote earlier from the Angeloses. They've always stood out in the baseball ownership fraternity of being much sort of a different breeds of cats than the typical owner. Mm-hmm. Not that Peter Angelos's history has been perfect, but the statement of John Angelos was so strong. And knowing who the owners of the Phillies were, it wouldn't surprise me if they said the same thing and said, like, no, America, and didn't do it. I don't know. Okay, so, I'm just and, saying, like, and, thinking and, that Rob Manfred would do it is unrealistic. Okay. I really do. Okay. And, and then if, if that's Even though the, you're right, okay. that, that, that would have okay. been the, if I could have waved a magic wand, that right. would have been the best thing. And if it's, and if it's an upper management fight, like you say, and you're right, we, we know the contention nature between D.C. and Baltimore and Angeles and TV and all that kind of stuff. Well, then to call that out, say, hey, you guys are putting your own personal agendas above trying to help baseball and trying to help the city uh, do the right thing. And, and, you know, Manfred said, hey, we have a 162-game schedule and 183 days to play it in, so that's why we have to play the game. So, okay. See? Man, I I just think it's like (laughs) you are um, asking Rob Manfred, who's been on the job for about an hour and a half, (laughs) to be Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis. I mean, and Manfred Manfred was picked by the owners to be the commissioner in the first place. He he acts as a representative of them. Well, he was was picked by Bud Selig, who was an owner himself. I mean, it's like, I mean, Faye Vincent was the last actual commissioner, and they sent him on his way. So I'm fired up because, in in the meantime, because of that up, up, up top fight, you had Baltimore, black mayor, black city, but black police chief, black, uh, black population looking bad, looking like look at look at look at yeah. the, uh, and I won't use the N word, but look at the darkies acting up. Well, and, you and know, that's why I'm fired up. Well, I'll tell you this though, I also think there was something. Um, I don't know if I completely agree with you because I think there's another way to read it. While I agree with you about what should have happened. And I agree with you that there's no way they kept that stadium empty out of the goodness of their hearts. Um, they did it because you got to keep the trains running on yeah. time in Major League Baseball. 162 games in 180 days. And they were worried about any sort of public relations, anything that could have happened by not running it like it was an armed encampment. I will, I will say this, though. There was something, uh, dare I say it, poetical about them playing in front of an empty stadium. Yeah. And it was poetical for a couple of reasons. I mean, the first is the most obvious thing, which is that Freddie Gray is silenced. Why shouldn't the fans be silenced? It's like you're playing in front of an empty park. People's mm. voices have been silenced by police violence. Let people see what it would look like I dig it. if we're I silenced. Dig it. Yeah, I dig That's it. what silence looks like. That's what it sounds it, like man. right now I in Freddie it. Gray's yeah. room. Yeah, That's yeah. what it sounds like in his yeah. home. I dig it. So let's start there. That's one way. The second thing is that one of the problems with sports economics saving our cities is that you get these thriving neighborhoods on game day, yet when they're playing an away game, you get a desert. You get nothing. You get 
bars that close early, restaurants that close early. I mean, they become dead zones. Anybody who has ever made the mistake that I admit that I have made, which is spontaneously going to a game and finding out when you get there that it was a road game and being like, <laughs> whoops, suits my, serves me right for being spontaneous. Like, that's happened to me before. It's stunning how you get out the train or you park your car and you're like, let's play ball. And you look around and you feel like you're Will Smith in that movie. Where everybody dead and you're the last person alive. You do this often, Dave? It's happened to me, seriously, like five times in my life. I'll admit it. Five times. Memory's the first thing to go. Yeah. Like and you ride me about I five mean, times. That's not modern technology. First time it ever happened to me when I, I was like at 16, 17. Seriously. Yeah, that was that was a point. different story. Yeah, let me get back on the point. Because that was going to the Yankees in the South Bronx in the eighties, and that was more like we weren't alone, but we were like, let's get back on the train. That's a whole different story. Um, but it was, but that was an education for me because it You're made me realize boy. how on game day they bring out the cobs and they make you feel safe. All that nonsense, you know. Let's make it safe for the white people who aren't from the South Bronx. Right. And and uh, and now it's not a game day. It's like eh, whatever. But um, <laughs> cop was like sleeping like, in his car when we got out of the station. But but to get to this point, it's like so. If these neighborhoods are going to be ghost towns, these economic neighborhoods, these economic hubs are going to be ghost towns when it's not a game day, the idea of bringing the ghost town into the stadium and being like, hey, guess what? This is what your team has brought to this mm. neighborhood when you're not here. Like that to me was poetical, too. Mm. And so it's like the silencing of Freddie Gray and the silencing of entire economic neighborhoods, economic hubs, which is what happens when the team isn't there. I mean, that to me was like something where it's like, yeah. And then the last point I'll make is this about it is like, you know, Adam Jones had this great line that I, I didn't even include when I read his words in the last segment where he was asked directly, do you think that uh, the schedule is now messed up for you guys on the season? And he said, I'm much more concerned with the city healing than I am mm -hmm. about the baseball schedule. Mm -hmm. So there was something about playing a game in front of an empty stadium that would, to me was kind of like sports knowing its place. Mm. And I'm not saying that was the intent right. at all. Right. I'm not saying that was like the powers that be being like, let's make a statement about X, Y, and Z. But to me, that was the effect it had. And I think that's not just me reading it as sports and politics guy. I think that's the way a lot of people read it as sort of being like, wow, who gives a crap about baseball right now? Mm -hmm. You know, this weird game. Like every play in that game that was shown to the public was a reminder to people of what was happening in Baltimore. That to me is powerful. That to yeah. me is powerful. It's real. Yeah, good point. Yeah, this is yeah. Edge of Sports Real. Hey, we'll go to break right now. We got more good points to come, not by me, but by Daniel Roberts, a.k.a. Iron Mike Gallego. We're going to talk to him right after the break about Mayweather Pacquiao. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Joined by the coach coming out. How you doing, coach? Mommy. Me, Mark Barry. Doing me, Mark? Doing all right. I mean, we've been talking Baltimore, Baltimore, Baltimore these last two segments. Um, we're now going to turn to the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, and not because we have some grand concern in how this is going to end out, but because of some of the questions swirling and surrounding the fight. And also because it's interesting, like being literate in this fight, I think really matters because of the amount of tension it's getting. I just spoke at the youth prison in Oakland last week, and I got to tell you, it's like, the kids, these are young people. I mean, it's like for better or worse, I'm just telling you what happened. It's like their faces lit up when I asked them about Mayweather Pacquiao. Like they were all tuned in and very, very eager to discuss it. 
when you know and you saw them actually look happy and a sense of escape when their daily lives is really rough and that's the thing about sports yet this fight is not just like an ordinary fight and that's why we have our next guest on the line to talk about this he's a regular boxing contributor at Deadspin he's written for Sports on Earth and GQ and his 2014 article uh, The Trouble with Floyd Mayweather which discussed Floyd's history of violence against women and domestic violence I mean this is what's recognized, what's discussed, and it's really the touchstone of changing the discussion around Floyd Mayweather. I mean, it was a public service of an article, and I think it raises a lot of questions that we want to discuss with him. His name is Daniel Roberts. Daniel, how are you doing, sir? Hey, Dave. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Sorry for the length of that introduction, but we've been talking so much Baltimore here. I felt like I had to explain why we were (laughs) making the shift to talk about this. Well, in the grand scheme of things, you're talking about saying it's a lot more important than a fight. Uh, so definitely uh, understand that. I did want to ask you this, Daniel, just straight up question right here. You probably sure. saw uh, Keith Olbermann's call for people or, not, or he said that he was going to boycott the fight. I don't think right. he even made a public call that everyone should. But he said that he was going to boycott it on the grounds that that watching the fight would be um, tantamount to being okay with Floyd Mayweather's history of violence against women. Where, where do you think about Overman's statement? I give credit to Sarah Spain at ESPN for, for first suggesting that in uh, September before Floyd's last fight against Marcos Maidana. Um, you know, personally for me, I've reached a point where I can no longer pay money that I know is going to go into the pocket of someone who is such an unrepentant uh, batterer of women and who, who shows no uh, no indication of accepting responsibility for his actions. You know, if, if I thought, you know, if, if we're talking about someone with a troubled history who's trying to make amends, you know, I can get behind that, but we're talking about someone who, you know, two weeks ago in an interview with Katie Couric chose to, to blame the victim and deny any responsibility. Um, so for me, the choice I made was not to put my $100 into his pocket. You know, for people who feel differently, you know, the only thing I ask is that people get an informed decision. And the reason why I started talking about this issue was because, you know, as someone who who is a, a very longtime boxing fan, you know, th- this was no secret among us. But I did feel like the mainstream media had really looked the other way on it. And that's why I thought it was important that people know this so they can make, you know, an informed decision about what's morally right for them. But I I certainly don't judge people either way uh, based on that decision. Dan, the next question is frankly not my question, but a question a lot of people have asked me um, as I've been talking to people about this fight. And I certainly know how I would answer it, but I wanted to throw it to you. Um, Is there something bizarre about having any kind of moral stance about a boxing match or about fighters, given the history of corruption in the sport, given, of course, the history of violence and brain injury in the sport. I mean, does it, isn't it a, a little bit bizarre to say we don't want to watch a fight because one of the fighters is too violent out of the ring when that's exactly what we're paying for? I think the reality of it is, and I've, I've tried to write about this, that it, it, it's getting harder and harder to be a boxing fan if you've got a, a conscience, especially with what we now know about traumatic brain injury. As bad as the NFL has been on the subject, and they've been dreadful, we're talking about uh, a league that at least has some support network for retired players. Boxers are all independent contractors. A lot of times, you know, whatever insurance they're given for the night of the fight is not very good. Certainly won't be something they can rely on 
if the symptoms don't show up that evening. And there's no, you know, union of boxers. There's no pension plan for boxers. It's a really difficult sport to get behind from an ethical point of view. On the other hand, it's, for me, the, the purest level of competition. Um, so, you know, it's something I've wrestled with a lot. Now, in Mayweather's case, I, I think it's a little bit different than a lot than, than just that, that basic argument because of the extent to which he is really marketed as a character. The truth is, Floyd Mayweather as a boxer is not someone who would be very appealing to a lot of fans. He's a defensive first boxer. Um, and people, you know, even in his run as an undefeated champion, people have booed him in the ring. They've walked out of his fights because they've been so um, devoid of action. And that's mm-hmm. credit to Floyd's defense. But what sells Floyd Mayweather, what's made him the biggest star in the sport, and no one can dispute he's the biggest star in the sport right now, is his character outside the ring and the money Mayweather persona. And it's made him a social media sensation. And it's, it's, it's frankly driven, you know, the storyline. And, and the problem I have with, with Floyd in particular is if we're going to sell a guy based on, you know, this outside the ring character, then we really need to look at all aspects of who he is outside the ring. And, and the truth is, um, you know, he's, he's a guy with a, a real bad history uh, when it comes to how he treats the women in his life. And for me, that makes it a lot more relevant to, to, to Mayweather in particular than than it would be maybe to another fighter uh, who, you know, where you, there's, you certainly have all the ethical issues about supporting boxing in general, but you at least go in feeling like this is someone who made an informed choice to be there and I've got no problem yeah. paying to support it this night because it's the only way they'll get a decent wage. Let, let, let me ask you this. Um, my, my co-host, Coach, has a question, but I'm going to jump in first with, yeah. with actually the thing that Coach was asking me before. We we got on the air. I hope I'm not taking your question, Coach. But oh, the, you go. Good. no, no, go for it, man. If I'm, I'm gonna, uh, no, I will do it. I'm gonna take it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, dude. I'm taking the ball. <laughs> you passed it to me. I'm catching it. I'm running. Later, you buddy. can't ask for it back. <laughs> Later, baby. Coach was saying like I hear the argument about boycotting. I hear the argument about Floyd Mayweather being a repellent person. But what do you want to happen? He's last arrested and, and convicted, or at least arrested five years ago. Um, convicted as well, I believe that was five years ago. That's he. It's so it's been five years since anything on the public record on this. Um, should there be some sort of denial of his right to fight? Is that what we're calling for? That he should not be granted a license because of his history of violence against women? Should that be what we're calling for? Or like you intimated earlier, Dan, is it really a question of restorative justice that we'd be okay with it if he was saying public things about what he did was wrong? But then how do we assess the sincerity of that? Because obviously you're talking about, you know, tens of millions of dollars at stake here so or hundreds of millions. I mean, so so what are we really asking for? Like, what do we want to see? Sure. Well, it's, it's, again, it's, it's a fair question. And, and, and look, you know, whatever you think of the way the justice system has treated Floyd Mayweather, and we're talking about a guy who's had been convicted on three separate occasions. He's been arrested or cited for seven separate assaults, um, you know, and he's done a total of about two months in jail. Um, you know, he, whatever you want to say about that kind of justice, he, he certainly paid his debt to society in that respect. I mean, he's done what's required of him by the courts. And so he, no, no one is arguing he should be, uh, you know, um, prevented the right to make a living. Be revisited. 
Yeah. 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 I, I completely think Floyd now as to whether he ever should have been suspended. I mean, by the sport, I, I think it's a fair question. I mean, they were suspending guys for a year for smoking marijuana at the same time. One of the commissioners called him a good vicar for the sport, which was right after he'd gotten out of prison. Um, and so is there hypocrisy in, in boxing in the way that these athletes are treated? There absolutely is. But again, I mean, I, I don't, what, what I want isn't necessarily for the sport or the legal system to reevaluate Floyd Mayweather or limit his ability to fight as much as I want the public to make an informed choice about whether to support it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's my feeling. And I feel, you know, and you know, some of the reporting out there that just kind of glorifies his lifestyle and allows him to go out there and make, you know, these kind of unfounded statements about the victim's culpability in this, I think undermine that the public's ability to make that choice. So that's, that's really what I want. And what's now, also, what I love to so, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Finish. Finish up, Dan. Sorry. I, would I love to see Floyd take some responsibility for this? Sure, I would. I mean, I think you look at a guy like Michael Vick, uh, who, or, you know, who's really done kind of everything possible to make amends for his crimes, and I think it makes it a lot easier to get behind that as a as a uh, as someone you can continue to support. Right, right, right. Coach, go for it. Yeah, I'm I follow up that. I did exactly what you're saying. I I went on a, a high school boys, and then I'm over 50, right, north of 50. So we're we're Ali people. We're big boxing fans, although sure. I'm not a box, boxing fan anymore, or like you just said. So when I told the group that, hey, I'm not giving this guy my money, mm-hmm. and and for the reasons we said, and they came back to me hard with holier than thou, cast the first stone, and all of this type of stuff, and um. I'm like, well, okay. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Completely. Throw that at I, mean, me. I, and I, think, I, I think people are conflating the difference between, you know, making a decision not to support a guy because we don't like what that money empowers him to do. And I think there's no question that, you know, his money has gotten him out of trouble a lot of times. Um, and so I, I think there's, no, there's a big difference between that and, and imposing a judgment on on him that you know he should be banned from the sport or that he should be in jail or anything like that i kind of believe everyone's got their own moral decision on this i like i said i don't i don't condemn people who choose to to buy the fight who choose to wear you know he's got a clothing line if you want to wear his clothing line that's fine just know what you're representing when you do that and as long as you're comfortable with that you know more power to you as far as i'm concerned so um you know i i think Anytime you talk about interfering with someone's livelihood, you're going to get that that question. But I mean, again, we're talking about a guy who sold himself as a character outside the ring, and so he he's the one who put this at issue. Uh, he's the one who keeps bringing up his lifestyle as mm-hmm. the reason why people tune in. And if you want to talk about his lifestyle, let's talk about what he really does outside mm-hmm. the ring. And so for me, that's not a lifestyle I can support, and it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the cars or anything like that it's i don't support a guy who who treats women that way and who by the way you're right he hasn't been convicted in three years it was 2012 he went to jail but he's been arrested at least or um he's had police come in at least twice since then okay once for uh a situation with uh, the mother of his child and once actually for uh one of her children with another man so two situations since 2012 these are yeah. One of them was just broke about two months ago. It occurred back in November, but the, the story just kind of got out a couple of months ago. Oh. Um, and, and, and also, we're talking about a guy who 
you know, again, when I wrote my story, one of the one of the things that actually kind of prompted me to write my story uh, was he was on Instagram saying, you know, if a woman uh, gets dressed in a kind of provocative way, she's asking to be disrespected. And this is a guy who, who who makes a living walking around in his underwear on national TV. And I was just like, you know, and, and obviously has the history he does. And so it was we're not we're not there's no evidence of an attitude change in Floyd, even if he's avoided legal issues. Um, he seems to be the same guy who has no respect for women that he's always been. Mm-hmm. It's you know mm-hmm. he's just gone a few years without going to jail. <laughs> his his name is Daniel Roberts. Dan, we got through this whole interview, and I didn't even ask you who you thought would win. And guess what? I'm not gonna ask you. So yo man, <laughs> okay. I, as an act of political protest <laughs> against this fight, I'm not even gonna ask you who you think's gonna win. But seriously, dude, I hope you come on again. You're a great interview. Follow yes. him at Iron Mike Gallego. Thanks so much for joining us, Dan. Thank you, buddy. Hey, hey, thanks so much for having me. Great discussion, guys. Yeah, that was fantastic. Hey, we got to go to break right now. We'll be back after this to wrap up the show. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. When we're back here in Edge of Sports Radio, we're talking Baltimore. We talked Mayweather, Pacquiao, violence against women. But I would be disrespecting my awesome co-host, Mark <laughs> yes, Barry, if yes, I didn't sir. point out that today is his sports nerd prom, yeah. uh, a.k.a. <laughs> nope. the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. We got two minutes to end the show. Mark. Jameis Winston is going to be the number one pick of the draft by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ding. There's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of talk about who he's going to be as a pro comparison here. Uh, really great arm, seemingly accurate, but for some reason throwing a lot of interceptions. I see him as the next Jay Cutler, not as a good thing. Whoa! Uh, quarterback that's, that's underrated that may be a second round pick here. I really like Sean Mannion out of Oregon State. Pro style quarterback, six four frame. Oregon State quarterbacks, Derek Anderson. You went to Oregon State. Yeah, I know. I'm a homer. Man, <laughs> you got to reveal a, that, man. This is an fan. ethical radio show. Go on. All right. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. Todd Gurley has the possibility of being the first uh, top 10 running back picked in the draft wow. since Trent, Trent Richardson. Richardson. <laughs> this would break the streak of being two straight uh, first rounds that have not had a running back drafted. When healthy, Todd Gurley was one of the most impressive running backs that I'd seen in college. I don't Ever? know if the, since in the past Peterson, decade. Right? He's right up there, honestly. Oh, yeah. He was like, he was great. Yeah. So I don't know if the knee's healthy. I think the people are going to reach for Melvin Gordon afterwards, and he's going to be a big bust. I don't like Wisconsin running backs. In terms of wide receivers, there are possible seven first-round picks. Uh, Amari Cooper, super safe, going to be a top-three pick. I think that there is a possibility of the biggest star out of which being Devontae Parker out of Louisville. Alshon Ooh. Jeffrey clone, going to be a top-ten pick. Love him. Top-ten uh, pick? Yes, top-ten mm. pick. Rashad no, Perryman no, is no. the next Darius hayward Bay. It's terrible. And then lastly, uh, <laughs> in terms of the there you go. In terms of the marijuana charges, Shane Ray, Randy Gregory appear to be dropping. I think a lot of this is smoke screens. Ha! Oh, smoke screens. I know. <laughs> oh, clean yeah. that screen, I, yo. I meant to do that. They're both. They're Call both. them vape screens. Get with the 21st century. <laughs> they're both going to be first round picks. It's happening. Right. So Even va- Ray with his bad foot. So vape screens on there. So quick. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Titans. Any trade? I mean, Titans going to move the pick. Rivers. I think. I Where think. does Mariota end up right. tonight? What yeah. team is he on? He's drafted at two, probably by Tennessee. And okay. staying? So he goes yes. two no matter what. Mariota yes. goes two no matter what. Yes. Okay. Wow. Okay. So the best player in the draft, Leonard Williams, goes where? Because yeah. he ain't going three. It might be four. If, he's dro- if, he, if he drops to Washington, Washington's going to get a King's Ransom for him. Wow. King's Ransom. Snyder will mess it up. He's going four. He's going four to the Dan Baker. Thank you, Kev. Coach McNutt. I call you Kev. Thank you, me, Mark Barry. We are out of here. Peace. Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.